1: where in this episode, we shall be looking at Tale of the Mummy from 1998. Layout-wise, we shall start with a look at the background information of the film, then the historical accuracy, and finally, the film shall be reviewed. Right. We are archaeologists who are entering a tomb. Over 50 years ago, poison in the tomb led to the deaths of many of those who previously excavated it, and so we enter cautiously. Inside, disaster hits, causing many of our party to go insane. Fortunately, we find the bandages of a Greek sorcerer who was exiled to Egypt, Talos. However, little do we know that we have awoken an ancient evil. Little do we know that we will soon learn about the tale of the mummy. This film costs $10 million to make, which comes to just over $18 million after inflation. This means that after inflation, it is the second most expensive mummy movie made up until this point, just after The Awakening from 1980. The film was directed by Russell Mulcahy, who also directed films such as Highlander 1 and 2 and Resident Evil Extinction. Since this film, he has directed several other Egyptian-based films, which shall be reviewed in this podcast at later dates. These include Curse of King Tut's Tomb and The Scorpion King 2. There were actually two versions of this film. The original was an hour and 55 minutes long. However, this was shortened due to audience complaints about poor pacing and out-of-place humour. For this review... Unfortunately, I was only able to get my hands on the 88-minute version. Finally, the film boasts some star power. Christopher Lee plays Sir Richard Turkle. Jason Scottley, who is known for playing Bruce Lee in Dragon, The Bruce Lee Story, plays Detective Riley. Louise Lambard, known for appearing in House of Elliot and CSI, plays Samantha Turkle. And finally, Sean Pertwee, who appeared in the film Dog Soldiers and the TV series Elementary plays Bradley Cortese. Now we shall move on to the accuracy of the film. At the beginning of the film, when they fail to find the name of the deceased in a new tomb, Richard Turkle claims that to the ancient Egyptians, the name was the essence of the person, and that when a name was removed from inscriptions, It essentially banished the deceased from the hereafter. Another man then points out that the deceased does not go to hell. Instead, they simply stop existing. This is accurate. To the ancient Egyptians, a name was of vital importance, both when it came to their place in society when alive and to ensure their survival in the afterlife. There are many examples where people had their inscribed names deliberately removed. There are also examples where the name had been mutilated or changed. For instance, when Ramesses Safad was killed in the Harim Conspiracy, the conspirators had their names changed. For instance, one person became known as Meshed Su Ra, meaning Ra hates him. Another became known as B.N.M. Waset, meaning bad in Thebes. In the film, when they get into the tomb, they do find a cartouche of the person's name. Firstly, it is worth noting that the mummy here is not supposed to be a pharaoh, so I'm not sure why his name is in a cartouche. However, the film does also claim that he had followers and he did want power, so it could have been that he was trying to make himself into a pharaoh of sorts. There are indeed examples of people from ancient Egypt claiming themselves to be pharaohs. For instance, During the 21st dynasty, several high priests of Amon, such as Menkepera and Panijim I, made themselves into de facto pharaohs. However, it is worth noting with these people that they were related to the pharaoh and were likely equally powerful as the pharaoh. At this time, in essence, they were in charge of southern Egypt, whilst the pharaoh ruled over the north. There also did not seem to be any animosity between the pharaoh and the high priest of Amon at this time. From the 8th to 11th dynasty, during a time known as the First Intermediate Period, Egypt was not unified and many local governors also made themselves into de facto pharaohs. Either way, Sir Richard reads the name on the cartouche as Talos. In reality, the name seems to more read Dawaz. After reading the cartouche, one of the team goes to smash through the seal of the door, but Sir Richard stops him, pointing out that they are archaeologists, not tomb robbers. Sir Richard is quite right to do this, although admittedly, later on he does blow up the entrance to the tomb with dynamite. It is fair to say that he is doing so to save the world from an ancient evil, But he also had the dynamite set up before he realised this, which does suggest that he was planning to do so regardless. It is also worth noting that even in 1945, when this scene is set, dynamite was not the kind of thing that was brought onto excavations, as surprisingly, very large explosions can cause irreparable damage. The film then skips forward to the present day, when a new team is entering the same tomb. It is here we find out that the tomb is KV, that's King's Valley, number six. KV-6 is actually the tomb of Ramesses IX, the third to last pharaoh of the new kingdom. This tomb was first excavated by Henry Salt, who died in 1827. When this new team arrive at the seal, They do exactly what Sir Richard told his fellow archaeologists not to do 50 years earlier, and clumsily hack their way through the seal, destroying the inscription on it as they do. When they get past the seal, they claim that they are in the main chamber, and that it plunges deep into the ground. The chamber they are in looks more like a well chamber, which were commonly found in the tombs of the Valley of the Kings. It is not entirely known what the well chamber was supposed to do. The entrance to it was often plastered over, likely to make it look like the tomb had come to a dead end. It was likely either used as a way to divert water that could damage the tomb, or to make it harder to cross for tomb robbers, as these tended to be quite deep and, unsurprisingly, had a well at the bottom. In this chamber, They see a depiction of the alignment of the stars, and they claim that the worship of the stars, particularly the sun, was standard practice in ancient Egypt. This is sort of correct. The sun Uh, god Ra was worshipped throughout Egyptian history. There was also Sa, who was the god of the constellation Orion, and Sirius, a goddess represented by a star which appeared at the beginning of the inundation of the Nile. However, I would say that it is more correct to say that the ancient Egyptians worshipped aspects of nature of which the stars were a part of. For the ancient Egyptians, cosmic order, known as Ma'at, was arguably the most important aspect of their religion. Ma'at is an incredibly complex concept, and one which books and books have been written about. It is far too complicated to explain in one episode of a podcast, But in part, it has to do with cycles and everything being in its place. So, for instance, In the summer, flowers grow, and in winter they die. The sun rises every day in the east, and falls in the west. The seasons pass relatively the same. The Nile rises and falls. The Egyptians saw these as eternal cycles, and saw it as their duty to uphold their part in Ma'at. They did so by going about their ordinary business. They went to work and they came home. They started a family. They left offerings and worshipped at temples. They lived honest lives. To go against Ma'at was to cause chaos. Later in the film, when the mummy, or in the case of the film, the bandages of the mummy, have risen, the detectives find some bandages and note that they have the smell of cinnamon on them. Spices such as cinnamon were used by the ancient Egyptians during mummification. And so it makes sense that the bandages might smell this way. After the body was dried in natron in the mummification process, among other things, the body was stuffed with spices such as cinnamon. As well as making the body smell nice, these also had antifungal and antipest properties. The final scenes I shall talk about in this section are the flashback scenes to ancient Egypt. During these scenes we find out that Talos was a Greek sorcerer who was exiled from Greece and came to Egypt. It was here that he entered the council of King Amenhotep and married one of his daughters. The last pharaoh to be called Amenhotep was Amenhotep IV who later changed his name to Akhenaten. However, realistically, the film would have referred to him as Akhenaten, not Amenhotep, if they had been talking about him. Either way, we are looking at a time period between 1500 and 1300 BCE, roughly. Although relations with the Greeks are more common from later time periods in Egypt, there is evidence for direct trade with Greece from around this time. For instance, Thutmose III, who lived in the 15th century, so 1400 to 1300 BCE, mentions trade with Greece. Therefore, it would not be out of the question that a Greek person came to live in Egypt, although he would likely have had to adopt an Egyptian name and follow their customs. Finally, later in the film, Brad claims that Talos' soul waits in purgatory. For ancient Egyptian religion, this does not really make sense, Normally, if the deceased failed to gain entry into the field of reeds, which can sort of be likened to heaven, they just cease to exist. However, from a funeral text known as the Amduat, which first appeared in the tomb of Thutmose III, there is evidence for the wicked or the damned. These are people who are doomed to die a second death in the afterlife. They are often depicted as being burned in furnaces and tortured. Overall, although this film does not do a particularly good job when it comes to historical accuracy, I would argue that it does put a little bit more effort into it than most of these types of films. The information it gives on the name being the essence of the individual in ancient Egypt is correct. And ideas such as the bandages smelling of cinnamon are plausible and do show that some research was done for this film. However, Once again, we see terrible archaeology, the incorrect attestation of tombs, and incorrectly translated hieroglyphs. In this final section, I shall review the film. I shall start with the aspects I like. First thing first, although Christopher Lee was only in the film for a short time, his casting and acting were both fantastic. I will admit that i am biased when it comes to christopher lee but i personally believe that he elevates any film that he is in it is only a shame that he did not have a bigger part in this one further the beginning of the film had a good atmosphere to it as it came off as quite creepy and mysterious i also got the feeling that aspects of this film inspired later films for instance talos had to go around and reclaim parts of his body, such as his mouth and his eyes, and this had striking resemblances to the Mummy film that came out just a year later, with Rachel Wise and Brendan Fraser. I am uncertain whether I am correct here, but to me, the similarities do seem to be more than incidental. Although the film is a bit of a mess after the opening scene, there are moments where it is genuinely good, and it did seem to get better as it went along this is a little refreshing to be honest as most mummy movies tend to start off well and get gradually worse as they go along the tale of the mummy seems to have more or less done the opposite to this further although i feel that the characters did need more time to develop i suppose it is worth noting that i watched the shorter version of this movie further the characters such as bradley cortesi did have a lot of potential to be interesting characters even if in the version I watched their potential was not entirely reached finally although I don't want to give too many spoilers I will say that the ending did genuinely surprise me and in a good way now I shall move on to the parts that I liked for the wrong reason e.g. the bits that I found unintentionally funny firstly the effects in this film are truly horrendous It is worth noting that this film was made in the late 90s, but even taking that into account, I feel they are very dated. Seeing Christopher Lee slowly turn into dust, complete with PS1-esque graphics, did take away from the horror of the scene somewhat. In all honesty, at parts, it felt like a cutscene was going to come to an end and I was about to start playing the game. In general, however, the CGI here is massively overused and incredibly goofy. For the most part, the villain in the film is just a CGI mummy wrapping flying around the place and wrapping people up. I will admit, I do usually like things that are a bit goofy, but this went a little bit too far, even for me. In one scene, for instance, the mummy bandages wrap up a man and pull him down the toilet. What a crap situation that must have been. It does feel as if the film is stuck between wanting to be a comedy and wanting to be a horror, but even in the amended version that I watched, it never gets the ratios for this right and it comes off as more of a film to be laughed at rather than with. Finally, I shall talk about the parts of the film I did not like. Firstly, once again, my bias is going to shine through here, but I really did feel that Christopher Lee's part in this film was far too small. He was only in the film for about 5 to 10 minutes. As mentioned before, this is a film that also seems to get better as it goes along. And as a result, the beginning of the film seems overly confusing, largely because it tries to introduce far too many characters and concepts in quick succession. To begin with, everything seems about as random as a futuristic cyborg walking through ancient Egypt while sucking on a traffic cone. These characters and concepts do become clearer as the film goes on, but for a good half of the film, it is all just very clunky. Further, early on in the film, many of the Mummy's victims get minimal screen time, very often just a single scene, and as such, there is very little reason to care about these people. Finally, there is no getting away from the fact that the villain in the film is just a bit bizarre, and not in a good way. It is a pile of bandages and is neither funny enough for a comedy and definitely nowhere near scary enough for a horror. Very often, the bandages just look like a pile of clothes and so the victims running from them just comes off as a metaphor for not wanting to do dirty laundry. The reviews for this film were quite bad and indeed, the villain simply being a pile of bandages is often brought up as a negative. However, In general, people tended to like the inclusion of Christopher Lee, and this was seen as playing homage to the old Hammer Horror films. Currently, on IMDb, this film has a rating of 4 out of 10, and on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a score of 17%. For myself, I find this film hard to rate. There are definitely aspects of this film that I do like, and I do feel that some love has gone into making this film and in a way that does add some charm. Further, despite how ridiculous the film is, it does get better as it goes along. However, it is undeniable that there's a lot wrong here. The beginning of the film is very clunky and confusing, and the villain for the most part is about as scary as a cardigan. Overall, I would give this film a 6 out of 10, but I feel that I enjoyed it more than most people would. Thank you very much for listening, and if you are enjoying this podcast, why not consider subscribing? On Thursday, we shall have an episode on Curse of the Mummy from 1970, and then on Monday we will arrive at what many consider to be the best Mummy movie of all of them, The Mummy from 1999, starring Rachel Wise and Brendan Fraser. See you then!